God's grace and peace to each of you this morning, dear people. I greet you in the worthy name of Jesus. It's so wonderful to gather together again to study His Word. I look forward to these opportunities. And this morning, the burden of the message is focused towards the parents. However, I want to say to you children and young people, I don't intend for you to push snooze, okay? Even though the burden of this message is focused towards us as parents, I would like to encourage you in a couple of ways as we go through this message. The one is, I would like for you to try to put yourself in our shoes for just a few minutes this morning, okay? God has called us as parents to a very large and sobering responsibility. And we tremble many times in, in seeking to fulfill that to the best of our ability. And yet, I remember when I was a youngster, it was hard for me to fathom that as a 12-year-old, as a 14-year-old. In those years, it was hard for me to understand what dad and mom were trying to do with the help of God. I would just like to kindly ask you as children and young people, for a few minutes this morning, try to put yourself in our shoes. Think about what God is calling us as parents to do. And then secondly, I would encourage you and challenge you to consider the part that you play in that. You see, God is also calling you as children and young people to to be a part of this plan. To be a part of the home. And things work out best when each does their part to the best of their ability. There is a call to us as fathers and to us as mothers, to us as parents, to the children. There is a call, there is a responsibility for each. And as we each do our part, it produces something of beauty. And so that is my my encouragement to you as young people this morning, even though the focus is towards the parents. I invite you to Psalm 78 for a text this morning. Specifically, verses 1 through 8. I've chosen this title, Our Responsibility to the Generation to Come. Our Responsibility to the Generation to Come. And we find that phrase, the generation to come, twice in this passage. First of all, in verse 4. It says that we will show the generation to come the praises of the Lord, His strength, and His wonderful works that He hath done. Verse 6, that the generation to come might know them. Speaking of the commandments of God. Follow along as I read Psalm 78, verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and His strength, and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children." that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Now, as we begin this study this morning, the title of this psalm is worth our attention. I assume in your Bible it says something similar to mine, and that is, 
Maskell of Asaph. Meaning, this is a psalm of instruction. A psalm of instruction. Now, we don't see that in every psalm, but it specifically says it in this psalm. Now, you know the scripture says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So all scripture is given by God. It's God breathed. And it is for instruction in righteousness. And we know that. But when the Holy Spirit calls our attention to this in a special way, I believe that we should give the more earnest heed. And this is one of those places. Now, the writer here is reminding Israel of their responsibilities and, in fact, their obligations to their children. It's not just a privilege that they had, not just a responsibility, but, in fact, for the children of Israel, and I say for us today as sincere Christian parents, it is an obligation that we have to our children to command them in the ways of the Lord, to make known the strength of the Lord, His mighty acts to them. In fact, if we are not fulfilling that obligation, we are failing on our part. And so this reminder this morning was not just for the Israelites, no, but all Scripture is given for instruction and righteousness for us today. And parents, I believe that we would all be wise to be more vigilant in rearing our children, to take more interest in training our children. And I believe and trust that we do have interest in that. And yet I know for myself how easy it is to to be sort of neglectant of that responsibility. It doesn't take long for us to understand that our children are born with a sin nature. (laughs) That is just a part of the package. You know, it, it doesn't take very long to notice that little Johnny has a rebellious attitude. It's amazing how young the children are when they start getting stiff, when they start throwing a fit. It's amazing how little they are when that happens, when they start throwing their food. You know, when, when you call to them to come and they turn and run the other way. All of that happens at a very young age. And in many ways, no, we did not train them to do that, but they are born that way. We are by nature the children of wrath. And so for us as sincere Christian parents, we have a God-ordained responsibility and obligation to instruct them, to teach them in the ways of God, with the goal that they come to know God, And they come to love His Word. And that as the Spirit speaks to them, that they then surrender their hearts and lives and surrender that stubborn will to the will of God. As means of an outline this morning, we'll have these five points. First of all, the call to attention. Secondly, the commitment of the parents. Thirdly, the charge to the parents. Fourthly, the cry of the parents. And fifthly, a bit of a negative note, the catastrophe of the parents. And when I say catastrophe, I'm speaking of of loss, of utter loss. And that's referenced in this passage as well. Parents, where is your vision? Where is your focus? Do you really have a vision for your home? Do you have a vision for your children? The scripture says that where there is no vision, the people perish. And I believe the same is true for our homes. 
where there is lack of a godly vision, our children will perish as well. Spiritually. And so God is looking this morning for dads and moms who are committed to passing the faith on to the next generation. God is looking for dads and moms who take seriously the weight of this responsibility. God is looking for dads and moms who hear the word of God and then strive to consistently apply it in their own heart and in their homes. Jesus said, blessed are they who hear the word of God and do it. And that brings us to the first point this morning, and that is the call to attention. We find this in verses 1 through 3, the call to attention. And the writer starts off by saying, hear me, listen up. I have something very important that I need to tell you. I'm going to share with you some lessons from the past. Some truths that may be hard to understand. And they speak of God's goodness. They speak of God's greatness. They speak of God's mighty acts. They speak of God's power. And they speak of God's love to a very undeserving people. And perhaps that is why he went on to call these parables. Perhaps that is why he refers to these things as dark sayings. He says, I'm going to open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings of old. Now, we often consider parables and dark sayings uh, to be truths that are more difficult to discern. Like it takes more effort for us to really grasp them, to understand them. But yet when they are understood, they make a deep impression of what is being intended. They make a very deep uh, impression of what is being represented. Uh, For example, Jesus in the New Testament, we read that he would speak to the people in parables. So that those who really wanted to understand, those who really wanted to know, they would with due diligence, find it. They would find that nugget of truth. But those who really weren't sincere, those who weren't earnest in seeking it out, they wouldn't understand. And so he spoke in parables. It was a means of of bringing out the true seekers. And so in this passage, it's not that the words or concepts in these verses are hard to understand, because they're not. It's not as hard as in some parables in the Bible, but yet it's hard to fathom the never-ending mercy and the long-suffering and the grace of God that He has extended towards a people that are truly not worthy at all. In fact, He has extended this to a people who are bent on going the other way. Their heart is really not bent towards going God at all. Towards God at all. It's difficult then for us to wrap our minds around that. Because as you read further through this passage, and we'll look at a few uh, sections a little later. As you look into this passage, you see all of what God has done for His people. All the wonderful things He showered upon them. And how they just turned away from him. Their hearts were not right, the passage says. And so perhaps that is some of the thinking of the psalmist here when he refers to opening my mouth in a parable. But just note two reasons why we should be all ears, okay? There's a call to attention here. Why should we be all ears? Well, first of all, God is speaking. God is calling for our undivided attention through the the pen of Asaph here. God is revealing his will, his desire to mankind, specifically to us as parents. God is speaking. Should we not listen when God speaks? We should be all ears. 
And secondly, we note here that this is a message that has been passed down from generation to generation. And that speaks of importance. Generally speaking, the stories, the lessons that are passed down generation to generation to generation are the important ones. The ones that you don't want to forget. And we have that here. The command is to speak them, to show them, tell the next generation and the next generation. It is to be a perpetual thing happening here of God's goodness and God's greatness being passed along through the generations of time. It's not to be forgotten. And so it's a message that not only calls us to remember the faithfulness of God in the past, but it also challenges us today to respond to Him with a heart of love and a heart of gratitude. Thinking for a moment here about telling stories, I just want to challenge you to tell stories. There is much value in telling stories, specifically the stories of God's greatness, of God's goodness in your life. And, and I'm sure that all of you here this morning have stories, especially you older ones, you parents especially. You have stories from the past, stories of what God has done for you, stories of how God protected you, stories of, of how God provided for you in times of great need, stories of how God healed you when you were not well. But you have stories. And I just want to challenge you, tell those stories. Keep telling those stories. Those stories are not only a reminder to you of God's faithfulness in the past, but once again, they are a means of imparting faith in the next generation. You know, it has that, I, that idea, or that picture, you can picture this in your mind, of a daddy telling his little boy something amazing that God did for him when he was a little boy. Johnny, you remember. No, no, no you don't remember. But Johnny, when I was a little boy, <laughs> you know what God did? We were doing this and we were doing, we could have been killed or even worse. You know, and, and look what God did for us. And little Johnny's like, oh, really? You mean God did that? Yeah, that's what God did. Oh, I like God. <laughs> I like God. And, and Daddy says, yes, Johnny. And one day you will come to love God too. And God will do great things for you. And it is, it is those priceless stories, those priceless memories that are passed on. In fact, in Psalm 44, verse 1, we read this. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days, in the times of old. And so the psalmist there is saying that we have heard these stories. We remember our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers have told us these stories. And then the psalmist in that passage goes on to say, do it again for us, God. You did it for dad mom. You used to do it for grandpa and grandma. Now do it for me today. You see, it's a means of developing faith in the next generation. And so, you know, there's many stories in our family that I could recount, but I'll just simply reference one. It's the story of the vanishing Volvo. <laughs> Did you know that angels drive blue Volvo station wagons? <laughs> they do, believe it or not. They do. I mean, our family believes they do. You know, that story happened uh, on Cadillac Mountain, Acadia National Park, Bar Harbor, Maine, many years ago. But we believe there were angels in that blue Volvo station wagon. You know, you might have your own stories, but that's one that we still tell from time to time. Tell stories. We are to listen closely, though. Give ear, O oh my people, a call to attention. Secondly, we have the commitment of the parents. We find this in verse 4. The commitment of the parents. We will not hide them from their children. 
That is our father's children. So we could say, we will not hide them from our children. But we will show, we will tell the generation to come, we will tell our children what God has done for us. What God has done for his people in the past. And so the parents' commitment is shown here by their resolve. We will not hide the truths that have been passed down to us through the generations. No, but instead we will show, we will declare the truth of God. Now, the word hide means to conceal. We will not keep it from them. And I find this rather sobering, that embedded in that word, the Hebrew word there for that we see hide, embedded in that word is to destroy, to cut down, to leave desolate. I say I find that sobering. Because dear parents, when we are not faithful in passing on the truth of God to our children, when we are not vigilant and intentional in that, we in many ways are destroying them. We are, we are keeping them from experiencing life and the goodness of God. We are in many ways leaving them desolate by not bringing them to the truth. We are putting them really in a vulnerable position by not declaring truth. And so the committed parent will show them We'll take seriously, uh, we will take seriously our responsibility to relay to our children the power of God and the power of His Word. I also notice the word showing. It's an action word. We will not hide, but we will show. We will declare. And that word, the Hebrew word for showing, literally means to score tally marks. Isn't that interesting? To score tally marks. In other words, the story of our life should be one tally mark after another of what God has done for us, of what God or the prayers He has answered, of His protection, of His provision. One tally mark after another. Our life should be full of tally marks. And then you could point to it and say to your children, Look, page after page of God's goodness. Page after page of God's greatness. Look at all the tally marks. That is really literally what that word means. Scoring tally marks. Showing, declaring, proving. I wonder how often do we hide these things from our children? And by hiding, I don't mean the act of intentionally keeping it from them. But instead, how often do we, by our lack of intention, how often, by careless neglect, do we bypass golden opportunities to teach our children? And we have many. And yet I will be the first to confess that those moments so quickly are gone if we do not grab them and use them. And I look back, and my, my children are getting older. I look back and say, I wish I would have taken more of those opportunities. Even, even now I say that. How often do we rob our children or, or limit them in their knowledge and their understanding of God and His mighty working? By failing to do our part. The committed parent will make extra effort to instill within his children the faithfulness of God. And the truths that he has received. Notice here verse 3. Which we have heard and known. And our fathers have told us. So the parents have received them. And you sitting here this morning, you understand that. Most all of you have received from your parents the truths of God, the faithfulness of God that has been passed on to you 
Your parents have went out of their way. They have, they have given extra effort to imparting into your life truth. But now it's your responsibility. Now it's your turn. Turn back just a few pages. Keep your finger there. But turn back just a few pages to Psalm 71. And I want to notice an example here of the psalmist David and his desire to tell the generations after him, tell them of God's goodness. Psalm 71, verse 17. O God, Thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared Thy wondrous works, Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have shown thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. That is the heart of a parent that desires to honor God and make a difference in the lives of his children. Give me that opportunity, God. Oh Lord, don't let me pass away. Until I have declared your goodness to all my children. To those who come after me. The committed parent will also take the time to explain to his children why we do the things we do. (laughs) Do your children sometimes ask you? Dad or mom, why do we do that? Why do we wash feet? At our church. Why do we kiss each other on the cheek? You know. Mom, why do you wear that on your head? Or various things like that. Do they sometimes ask? I'm sure they do. Are we able to answer them? What do we say? What do you say? Well, the church tells us we should do that. I don't know. How do you answer them? You see, giving our children solid biblical answers to their questions is a key to developing personal conviction in their life. Do you really think that they will develop a conviction for the truth of God's word if dad or mom doesn't even know? If dad and mom struggle to have that in their own life? If the answer is, I don't don't really understand either. I don't know why. No, typically that will lead then to a very similar response in the child. That it must not be that important. Dad and mom don't really know. The church just makes us do it. So the church is really a monster and we just sort of, no, no. There is more to it than that. And God is expecting more of us than that. And so if we are to help develop conviction in the lives of our children then that means that we as parents must be zealous about the truth of God's Word. We also must be students of God's Word. We also must have a personal conviction for the position that the church takes for the truth of God's Word. You see, it's not uncommon for our children to ask those questions. But I say that weak responses like, I don't know, or... Just because the church says, not only is it a missed opportunity to impart truth in their lives, but it also encourages them to go elsewhere for the answers. Is that really what, is that what you want for your children? Do you want your children to look elsewhere for the answers? I trust not. But God has given us as parents that obligation. You know... The scripture commands us, I believe it's in 1 Peter, that we are to be ready always to give an answer to every man of the hope that is in us. To give an answer to every man. Now how is that possible? If we are not being faithful, if we are not ready to do that, how can we possibly be ready to share with our children? I would like to just note a few examples of this. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. 
Exodus chapter 12, just two verses here. We'd like to notice a few examples here in Scripture of where God is expecting parents to pass these things along to their children, to give them an answer for why we do what we do. Exodus 12, verse 26. And this here is in the context of the Passover, observing the Passover. Verse 26. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? Dad, Mom, why do we do this? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. Isn't that beautiful? Dad, Mom, why do we do this? And God is then giving direction. When the children ask that, you are to give them a clear answer of why. Take them back. Take them back to the foundation. Why? Where does this come from? It has to do with what God did for us. And then don't you notice that beautiful response? The people bowed their head and worshipped. It's, it's a response of surrender. It's a response of, yes, I then take that for myself. I agree. Turn one page to Exodus 13, verses 8 and 9. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Now turn to verse 14. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? That thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Thereof I sacrifice to the Lord Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. And it shall be for a token upon thine hand, and for frontlets between thine eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. Now let's turn to another yet. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I hope that you're noticing something. There is a common denominator in each of these examples. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. Well, there's more than one common denominator. (laughs) Verse 20, Deuteronomy 6. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in. You see that? He brought us out, that he must bring us in. To give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive, as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as He hath commanded us. Listen, there's several common denominators here. And the one is, your children are going to ask. Okay? Okay? Your your children are going to ask at some point, why do we do this? Why do we have to be different than other people? Why do we have to dress different? Why do we... They're going to ask... What are you going to say? In each of these examples, we have the father, the head of the home, giving the answers. We have the father going back and saying, Children, we were once in bondage, but we've been freed. 
You see, this isn't about, this really isn't about the church. This really isn't about trying to please the church. This really isn't about rules and discipline. This is about pleasing the Lord God. We do what we do flowing out of the fact that we have been saved. We've been redeemed. And we want to honor God with our lives. In all we do. And this is one application that's biblical. And so, there's going to be questions. And the answers go back to the fact that we were in bondage. But the Lord brought us out. Every time you see it saying, what the Lord did. This was not something that I did. We couldn't have done it. But the Lord, look at what the Lord did. Tell the stories. It's not because of my righteousness. Tell them that it's what God did. And it's like that little boy. Oh, I like God. <laughs> you know, it, it fosters that faith in God at a young age. That God's a great God. That when I get big, I'm going to love that God. It's that type of response. What are we to make known? Back in our text. What are we to make known? The praises of the Lord. His strength. His wonderful works. To whom are we to make these things known? To the generations to come. By whom? Well, it's the parents. One generation to another, right? How shall it be made known? Once again, by not hiding it. By not obscuring it. By not concealing it. By not neglecting your obligation, your responsibility. But by declaring everything that God has done. Tell them. Tell them everything that God has done. Don't keep it from them. In fact, our homes should be a place of discussing God. They should be a place where God is in the conversations on a regular basis. I ask you what kind of atmosphere surrounds your home? Is it one where the goodness and greatness of God is often mentioned? Someone has put it this way. A knowledge of the past dealings of God should be communicated by parents to their children as a means of leading them to adore Him and preparing them to transmit the knowledge of His perfections to those who come after them. So once again, we see this this transmitting of faith from generation to generation. Okay? Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. There it is. One generation to another. In fact, it's, it's amazing that in this passage here in Psalm 78... We seem to see at least five generations referenced. Notice that in verse 5, we have, He commanded our fathers, first generation. Then they should make them known to their children, second generation. Verse 6, the generation to come might know them. That's third. Even their children should be born, four. Who should arise and declare them to their children, five. So I don't know exactly if that's, What is intended, but it seems to be there. This perpetual transmitting of faith. Next generation, next generation, next generation. In fact, what's interesting is that in the Bible, the number five speaks of God's goodness and greatness and favor towards His people. And here we have these five generations listed here. How God's goodness and greatness and favor continues to be passed on and on and on. That is God's will for us as parents. That is God's desire. In fact, that is His design that we do it that way. That is how the faith is preserved. Thirdly then, the charge to the parents. We find this in verse 5. The charge. The middle of the verse says, He appointed this law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. He commanded. I'm calling this a charge. Okay? A charge. It's very serious. And now, if you're a sincere Christian parent this morning, then you will be quick to understand that the responsibility of teaching 
the Bible, teaching truth to your children is not an option. I mean, God doesn't see it that way. God doesn't view this as an option. And yet, it's sad to hear so many excuses these days. Well, because of our family schedule, we don't have time for family devotions. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm just not a good singer. Like, we just can't sing. Well, I just don't have a gift for teaching. You hear excuse after excuse. I mean, the Bible never says that if your family is gifted in music, then sing. The Bible never says that if dad, that if, if you have a gift for teaching and expounding the scripture, then by all means do it. I mean, the Bible never says that if, if you have time in your schedule, then it'd be nice to have family devotions. No, it doesn't. But it views these things as commands. As parents, we are called to teach our children. We are called to sing with our families. A command over 300 times in the Bible to sing. We're commanded. I say it's not an option. At least God doesn't view it that way. Let's look at another couple examples here. Turn back once again to Deuteronomy chapter 4 this time. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And we read this. Only take heed to thyself. And keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them, thy sons and thy sons' sons, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. Now, I want you to notice what is implied. We could ask the question, what things? Because there in verse 9 we read, lest thou forget the things. Well, what things? What is he talking about? Well, verses 7 and 8. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for? So what's being implied there? Is there any other nation on the earth that has a God that is alive and well and that is close to you and that hears you when you call to Him? Sunday school lesson? The Lord, He is God. There is no other nation that has a God like that. Verse 8. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Now there's other nations who have their laws and they have their statutes. But there is no other nation that has righteous laws like God's people. And, and so out of that he says... Don't forget these things. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who your God is. Don't forget what you've been given graciously by this great God. But teach them. Teach them. Turn a couple pages back to Deuteronomy 6. Forward, that is. Deuteronomy 6, verse 2. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Now, verse 7 And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. You see that all the day. It's certainly not speaking of a sporadic activity that you do when you have time, if you have time. Let me just tell you, as it goes to family devotions, I mean, we don't have time for that either. <laughs> I mean, okay, and then what I'm saying is that in this life we live, who has time? Okay, we, we talk about that we don't have time. You're going to have to make time. 
It's not going to happen. That's what I'm saying. It's not going to happen by default. Once again, it speaks of being purposeful. It speaks of being intentional. What does it say here in verse 7? Teach them diligently. Be intentional about this teaching process. And so, you remember the resolve of the committed parents? They said, we're not going to hide these things from our children. But we're going to show these things to our children. We're going to talk about them. We're going to teach them. Once again, it's not a sporadic activity. But God's plan for us as sincere Christian parents is to make this teaching a way of life. In the ordinary happenings of life, use those things as opportunities to teach them and to focus their attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. What He has done, what He is doing, what He has promised to do in the future, a means of imparting truth and fostering faith in their lives. Well, number four, the cry of the parents. And we find this back in our text in verses six and seven. The cry of the parents. You know, I believe at the heart of every Christian parent that is a sincere Christian parent, it is their desire that their children walk in the ways of God. It is their desire that that they grow to love Him. That they are a, a kingdom builder. That they are involved in the things of the church. That they support and love the church. I say it's, it's their heart's cry. It's the ultimate goal. You know, oh, that my little son would, would come to know this God personally. Oh, that my little son would walk in the ways of God. Oh, that my little daughter would grow to be a, a woman of purity and holiness and beauty. And, and, and those are the longings that we as parents have for our children. But what is the cry of the parents that we find here? In verses 6 and 7, the first is that they would know. That they would know the commandments. That word know is an intimate term. It speaks of a close connection. It speaks of something that is no longer just what I've heard dad and mom talk about. But it's something that is now a part of me. It's a part of my life. Oh, that they would know. Personal experience. Something that is real with them. That's the cry of the sincere Christian parent. And then secondly, that they would arise and declare. You see what it says there? That they should arise and declare them to their children. And and there in those words, arise and declare, I see a sense of urgency Getting up and getting to work. Arise. Don't just sit on your seat, but arise and declare. It's not necessarily the picture of sitting on your easy chair and texting to someone else about. No, but it's action. I'm in this thing and I care. The seriousness of that responsibility has been relayed to the children now. And they see the importance now of passing it on. Thirdly, that they would set. That's the cry of the sincere Christian parent. I want my child to set. To set what? Set their hope in God. There's many things these days that we could put our hope in. There's many things that you could wish for. There's many things that you could build your life on. But there is nothing as stable and as strong, as enduring, as setting your hope in God. It is the foundation for stability and security and success in all of life. And so that is the cry of every sincere Christian parent. Oh, that my children, oh, that my little boy would set his hope in God. And that speaks of a life of conviction. I'm settled. I've heard. I've believed. And I'm declaring It's now flowing out of my own experience. Not just dads or moms. But I believe it. And I'm settled. And I declare it out of that wellspring. Fourthly, that they would not forget. This person has been instructed well. They have been taught very well. Is that a mark of a good teacher? 
The students don't forget, but it's been driven home in their minds that they would not forget. And so uh, the teaching and the training has been effective. Is that not the cry of your heart this morning, parents? Oh, that my little ones would not only hear, but remember what I've taught them. And then, fifthly, that they would keep. That they would keep the commandments. And here I I picture a person uh, who has, they see that they have received something of great value. And they're not willing to part with it. There is nothing in life that they would ever trade it for. They would never give it up. But they're going to keep it with all their heart. Because they know what it means. They've seen how it's changed lives. They've seen what it's done in dad mom's life. Grandpa and grandma. Others around. And they say, I'm going to keep that. I'm never going to give that up. That's the cry of every sincere Christian parent. I want my child to have something and keep it. They're going to keep the faith. They're going to keep the faith. Psalm 127 verse 5. Happy is the man who hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. What are we talking about? Arrows? Bow hunting? No, we're talking about children. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Why? Because we're talking about spiritual warfare. That's what. Okay? So the more arrows you have, the greater you're going to make it. Okay? So happy is the man who has a lot of them. And it says that the man who has a lot of well-tuned arrows does something for those arrows. (laughs) And we're talking about children, right? He does something for those children. It says they shall not be ashamed. There it's talking about the arrows, not the parents. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Your children then are an extension of your home and the spiritual battles of your home. When we have taught them, when we have trained them, and when they have then received that and been convinced of that, then they are also a part of the army that are contending with the enemies. But it's, it's a responsibility. It's an obligation that we are training them, that we are straightening them, that we are chiseling off. That we are helping them through the power of God to mold them and shape them into surrender to His will. I trust that this is the cry of your heart this morning. You know, I ask you, how bad do you want it? You see, faith is not going to be passed down by accident. But it's going to take blood and sweat and tears. And it's going to take a lot of prayer. It's going to take a lot of prayer. And so I ask you, parents, are you truly committed Are you willing to give up personal pursuits in your life for the future of your children? Would you even be willing to give up your career for the good of your children? Are you willing to own up to your failures in front of your children and ask for forgiveness? That's hard, isn't it, dads? That's hard. Parents, do we understand that the influences that we have or that we allow in our homes, have the power and potential to make or break the future of our children. Do we understand that? You see, so for me and my family, there's a reason why I don't take my family for vacation to the beach in the summertime. There's a reason. It's because nudity is poison to purity. Okay? We know that. And so we set limits. We set safeguards. There's a reason that I no longer take my family, and this has been for years now, to eat at our local pizza hut. Because we've realized over the years that the influence that we get from an hour of TV at that pizza hut is of greater significance than the pizza. I don't care how good it is. And so we decided that we'll take order to go. But we're not going to sit in there and watch all that filthy immorality. There's a reason I may delete my WhatsApp account. 
And you may understand that because the recent updates have things that are disturbing on the home screens. And you, I hope, are making decisions for yourself and for your home to safeguard your home. What I'm saying is that we can say that we want to teach our children. We can say that we have a desire for our children to grow in the ways of God. And we can say that, but at some point it comes down to the nitty gritties of life. Like, what do I do? The decisions that I make. And those influence our children. And by failing to make those decisions, we can produce an atmosphere of confusion in our homes. Where our children aren't sure. We say this, but we do this. And you know how it is. Those influences tend to creep in. Whether we want them to or not. Well... If we're not able to give a positive answer to some of those questions, then, dear parents, this is difficult, but we ought not be surprised when we wake up and find our children in verse 8. And that's sad, but yet it's often true. It might not be as their fathers. And here I call this the catastrophe of the parents. They might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. You see, at the heart of every problem is a problem in the heart, right? And so as we read down through this passage, and we won't for sake of time, but as we read down through this passage, we see over and over what God did for his children, what God did so greatly on their behalf, and yet how they turned against him and turned against him, it says, because their heart was not right with God. Their heart was not right with God. And how it hurts me to think of of my child, my son or my daughter, being in this situation someday. And yet, I'm well aware of my shortcomings. I'm well aware of, of the old man that wants to come up within me. And You see, like father, like son. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? And so I understand that, of my tendencies and my weaknesses. And so in many ways... When I see my children, I'm looking in the mirror in many ways. And that's alarming. I understand that our children learn first and foremost by example and not just simply by my words. And yes, our children will have to determine for themselves who they will serve. I understand that. And I hope you understand I'm speaking a few statements here in a general kind of way. But our children will have to learn uh, who, they will have to come to that point and personally decide whom they will serve. And yet let us never underestimate the power of our example. Because time after time in the Bible, we find that the formula for raising godly children is to be godly parents. One of the things I find alarming is that the opposite isn't necessarily true. Ungodly children aren't always the result of ungodly parents, but simply negligent parents. And that's, that's scary to me. That's alarming to me. Well, may God help us as dads and moms to understand the importance of our character and the seriousness of the decisions that we make as it relates to the future of our children. Uh, the two are tied very closely. Someone has said, the measure of a man's character is not what he gets from his ancestors, but what he leaves his descendants. What he leaves his descendants. Jesus asked the question, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? And I believe he will. But for sake of this morning, I believe the more pertinent question is, will he find faith in your descendants? Will he find faith in my descendants? May God help us as parents to be very serious about our responsibility to the generation to come. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us much admonition from your word this morning. And I tremble personally as I consider the magnitude of this responsibility and the weight of that. And Father, none of us here this morning as parents are are able in our own strength to handle such a job. 
And yet we know that you give grace for what you've called us to do. And so, Father, I pray that you would renew our vision this morning as dads and moms for our families. Father, we want there to be faith when you return to this earth. And we want that faith to be in our family lines. We want, we want our children to be among the faithful. And Father, help us to realize uh, the great part that we play as parents in all of that. But most of all, Father, above all, we realize that it is only through the grace of God that this is even possible. And so we cry out to you again this morning for your grace and for your strength. You are the one who doeth all things well. So Father, forgive us for the many times we've failed in these areas and renew our desire to walk with you and be examples of truth and beauty wherever we go. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Why don't we stand together and maybe sing a verse of song, and then we can part ways. Sure.